you're listening to Ghostwood Radio, a Twin Peaks podcast and movie fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield. I'm here with Soren Howe. I'm very excited to get started um, because I, I I love Twin Peaks a lot. Um, and Soren <laughs> do, knows literally nothing. Well, he knows a little bit about it, having seen the first episode now. Um, yeah. But, yeah. well, <laughs> you know, you knew nothing about it going in, which is why this is going to be so much fun. Um, we are talking about the pilot of the series, of course, episode one. Um, the episodes don't have official names, um, but we can talk about that next week when we get to the weirdness with the episode names um, and where they came from. Uh, but we're starting with the pilot. So yeah, you know nothing. You knew nothing. Absolutely, right? Yep. I, um, you know, obviously know Twin Peaks by reputation, but have uh, essentially no experience with the show at all. Um, trying to think what I did know about Twin Peaks. Um... I don't know if I said this on a podcast or not, but yeah, basically I knew that there was, um, that Kyle MacLachlan was in it. Uh, uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, and then that David Lynch, uh, it was, David Lynch was one of the creators, writers, directors behind the show. Um, but that was, that was, yeah, that was really it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a, I haven't followed Twin Peaks. I don't, to be honest with you, it, it's funny. Cause like you would think, if you didn't know the show, you would be familiar with the meta show, like conversations about the show or, you know, what role it played historically or what shows it influenced um, directly or indirectly. Uh, and I really like I've I've spent basically no time having that, like investigating that. Um, and I don't know um, if I'm. Like just out of the loop on that, if it was just the wrong time. I I don't know why I I just for some reason have managed to stay fairly ignorant of that entire um, uh, world, both of like the discussions around the show and also the show itself. Well, so, well, that's good because yeah, it, really, it means yeah. you get to be uh, uh, surprised as 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 things happen. Um, that's mm-hmm. not an experience I got to have <laughs> with Twin Peaks. Uh, I unfortunately the first time I saw it, which was I don't even know how long ago, um, I knew the mysteries and uh, the answers and stuff like that. Well, you know, such as they were. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's cool that you're going to be able to go into this just completely uh, blind. Um, How how did you know all of that going in? I I mean, there's like... I don't remember. I I had been spoiled on stuff like who the killer is and... um, I had seen references to stuff. It's, It's like, you know, when you watch The Simpsons and you see a reference to something and then years later you see the thing it was referencing for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the experience I had with Twin Peaks, where like you would see kind of bits and pieces of it pop up in pop culture uh, before you ever saw the real thing. Gotcha, just because gotcha. it gets, you know, it gets referenced and it gets kind of... Uh, it, it's all... It, it's seeded throughout the pre, uh, following years of pop culture in a lot of ways, mm. not just through its influences, um, although there are many of those. So, yeah, I mean, let's let's jump well, it's right just, in. It's funny that you say that because I feel like I wouldn't even know, uh, because I I mean I've obviously consumed a lot of <laughs> pop culture uh, things, and so it's entirely possible that I have um, had things spoiled, and maybe when I when they happen, I'll go, oh, that was a Twin Peaks. I didn't know it was Twin Peaks. I 
I had no idea. Um, so effectively, I'll I won't know. But yeah, I um, nothing jumps out to me. Like there's no. It's so like I have no frame of reference for anything that's going on. In show. <laughs> it's very weird. All right. Anyway, yeah. We should let's um. This was uh the pilot episode is uh two regular episodes in length. Um, kind of like the uh the pilot to Serenity, uh to Firefly, sorry. Um, and obviously a couple of other shows. Uh, so this was uh it was a lot a lot to cover. Yeah, it's it's a big podcast. It's a meaty episode. In fact, the um when they didn't know if it was gonna be be picked up or not, they had Lynch shoot an extra like fifteen minutes on the end so that they could sell it as a movie overseas. <laughs> um. So there's a version of this pilot that has, like, an ending to the whole story. Um, oh, wow. And that footage actually gets reused a couple episodes from now. And I'll point that out when we get to oh. it, because it's, it it's interesting. But, um, yeah, this is... It, it's funny. A lot of this episode is really... Um, they don't really... Ho- they don't hop into, like, the investigation part for a while. In fact, Coop- Cooper doesn't show up until, like, about halfway through the episode, which is funny, yeah. because he's so... I mean, you like you said, he's like the thing that people kind of know about the show or remember about the show. Mm-hmm. He's it's an ensemble show, but he's more or less the main character. Um, but he's completely absent for most of the episode, and it's mostly about not just introducing the various residents of the town, but showing how all of them are reacting to the news of Laura Palmer's death. Even characters yeah. who we'll never see again um, get really kind of intimate moments of their. Uh, of, of mourning, um, which is really cool because it's, it's an interesting take on, it's, it's an interesting way to introduce, uh, not just the concept of the show, but the location and not just the people in it, but the location, you get this great sense of the impact that you had on the town in all these individual connections. Uh, but also just the kind of the weight of the event in general, uh, yeah, what it signifies to the, to a town like this that seems like kind of a sleepy you know small town. Um, yeah, I took a I took a note of that right at right at the beginning because everyone in the town was all you know they're all doing different things but they're all reacting to the same you know central event. Um, and and you're right, it does give that that sense that uh, it. It gives a, a sense like the small town feeling that's different than uh, like Deadwood, um, because Deadwood had that, but also a physical set that was so um, condensed uh, and localized that it, you know, the camera could just move around and you would get the impression it was in the same place, um, because the set was just one ta- was the t- was a town basically they built in the middle of nowhere, um, so. Uh, it's different in that regard because I don't, I, I honestly, I'm not sure. I, I assume it's a series of sets. Um, so there's not that sense of spatial, like, you know, a relationship, but there is the the general sense, the community sense of uh, of Twin Peaks being like a small town um, where something like a death would, would really shake up the, the dynamic of um, what's going on and, and something that might not be such a big deal in like a city, where it's obviously affects you know a network of people, but not certainly not the whole city, um, ends up being you know this major deal. But well, it's in the context of all these these families and and schools and things. When like they that. unwrap uh, the body, 
everyone there immediately recognizes her. And I remember the first mm-hmm, time yeah. the first time I watched it, that's really that's a really striking moment because it's not just uh on a on a series like this and on, even on some of the series that it inspired, um, but just generally like cop procedurals, you don't have that moment right away. Like they have to find out who the who the corpse is. Um, yeah, so yeah. to have that immediacy of like everyone there knows who, who Laura Palmer is and recognizes her right away, and Andy, who's the deputy who's taking pictures, he's weeping because this is so mm-hmm. uh, emotional. Um, and then just well, I mean, like that's one of the first scenes. The first scene is Pete Martell leaves his house to go fishing, and his wife is there, who's Catherine, and his sister-in-law Josie, and we'll get to them uh, later because they introduce uh, <laughs> they introduce their. Uh, a subplot later in the episode, but uh, he mm-hmm. finds Laura Palmer's body on the shore, wrapped in plastic, and he calls Sheriff <laughs> Sheriff Harry S. Truman. Um, and again, this is what I love. Thing I love about the show is all these little. It, it's a show of details in a lot of ways, um, like a lot of Lynch mm-hmm. work, uh, Lynch uh, film and television, um, where they'll just kind of seed like little little, little moments, little little bits. Um, that don't really have any, I don't, it's not that, it's, I don't want to say that they don't have any significance because that's not a, a good way to think about them, I don't think. Um, but they are, they're just little things that give the world more color and give the world more life. Um, as, a, you know, this, this character who could have been named anything is named after a president. And like mm-hmm. Cooper, Cooper notes that he may, it may, it's a name he's not going to forget. Um, and that's not right. really a, it doesn't have any like emotional or personal significance to the character, but it's just a thing that helps give the world a little more kind of exuberance. Um, I, you might, it's quirky, I guess. I mean, that's the word I'm chasing down. I think it's, a, this is a quirky show and well, not in an obnoxious they're, way. They're, it they're it's quirky but also um I don't even know if this is the right word either, but I was thinking sort of you know David Lynch is a interesting uh director <laughs> or writer, filmmaker, whatever. Um and he likes to fill his movie with uh his movies and, and work with um Red herrings, I guess, is the way I I would describe it, which is almost sounds like malicious and in intent, which I don't think it necessarily is, but, um, but that sort of you know, you know, do you remember when we were doing speaking of uh, procedurals? By the way, this procedural that I was I kept can't stop thinking about uh, in relation to Twin Peaks is uh Fargo. I don't know why. Uh maybe it's just cuz it's a small town and a death and how that or murder and that sort of shakes up what, you know, is generally a sm- that that small town feel. Um yeah, tonally they're so on the that's... same wavelength for sure. Yeah, so maybe that's and and also just like the yeah, just the the, the feel of it um t- to me is um the show and and the movie in some regards. Um but anyway, thinking back to a, a different, yet another uh, procedural or, or, or crime drama was uh, True Detective season one, um, where we talked about how uh, the first season was uh, really well directed, but not the, the writing wasn't really there. So there was what felt like misdirection in some of the camera work and, and what was focused on and 
in building up this mystery that ended up not actually being as deep or as interesting as we were hoping. I don't know if you remember that discussion. Yeah, yeah, I know. That yeah. probably many years ago. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, in that case, I think that was uh, due to a misalignment of two different people um, in the filmmaking process. Whereas here, or with David Lynch in general, uh, he like builds that into his work. And it's just really strange to me because for people who, who like study film or talk about film, um, you know, what we're trained to do is follow patterns and take notice of details and things to try and put together um, plots that are not necessarily depicted on screen or understand emotional arcs or whatever. There's some, there's some purpose to it. Um, or, or if there's no narrative, then to just get, you know, sort of an emotional through line to what's going on on screen in some capacity, something. Um, and it's always been something that David Lynch has done is to mess with that instinct by putting in things that are quirky details, but don't actually, you know, aren't, you know, quite really relevant, but, you know, sure do catch your attention. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something that I've, I don't want to say struggle with, it, it's just something that it's, it's been very different for me to interact with because it's not similar to any other filmmaker or, you know, where that's a thing. So it's like, and I can see why it's probably off-putting to, to, to a lot of people, uh, and why some people really like it because it's, again, it's so different, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's how you feel about David Lynch broadly it's just that's well that I mean I think you're I think you're right the way that you you can't really watch a David Lynch project the way that you would watch something else you know really most other things um he kind of requires you to not not turn that part of your brain off but to kind of just accept that whatever patterns you're picking up on it's it's like you know when I don't know the word. You probably know the word for this, but you know when the the concept of your brain, your brain is kind of built to fill in patterns where they don't exist, and so you'll see yeah, yeah, like there's a term yeah. for it, but you'll like see shapes or see faces sometimes in like rock formations or like arrangements of uh, things that aren't really there, but your brain is just designed to kind of put that stuff together. Um, I think when you watch something, and when you watch Twin Peaks, especially especially the further into the series we get, you have to kind of go with the flow in a way, and just, you know, this is this show is really about, it, it, there's a narrative, certainly, um, but it's much more about a mood and kind of a tone and just letting it wash over you. And and going with it, and that's the and that's true of a lot of Lynch projects, and that's what I love about his work is that, um, a lot of stuff is like there's like kind of a dream logic to it, so you get stuff like you're talking mm. about where there's kind of like subconscious symbolism that doesn't actually signify anything, but it's just like it, it evokes something emotionally or subconsciously, um, and that's why that's why it's there. Uh, not necessarily that ha it has any logical connection to anything else, but it just like it makes you feel something, or it makes you, uh, or it triggers some kind of reaction in your brain, um, and that's what's cool about his work. Um, and you'd get that less on the first two seasons of Twin Peaks than you do in his other work, just because <laughs> this was airing on ABC, <laughs> um, 
Mm. So the, he was working with limitations to an extent, although I'm always the one who says, like, artists who are given limitations are usually going to put out better work than they would otherwise um, because it forces them to kind of reevaluate what is really important about what they want to say and what they want to do and what they want to show. Um, though I say that, but the for the third season of this show, he was given no limitations, and it's incredible. Um, but I think at that point he was, you know, 70 years old, and he's an artist who probably knows how to do that for himself anyway. Um, but mm. this is definitely, you know, this is not... These first two seasons are not Mulholland Drive or Inland Empire. They're much more akin to his more narrative work. Like, um, the, the closest... I would say the closest parallel you're going to get is probably Blue Velvet, um, just in terms of, like... Like, to me, the key shot of his whole career is the opening shot of Blue Velvet, where if you haven't seen it, it's these, like, idyllic 50s iconography of, like, the milkman going by and waving and the white picket fence, but then it pans down from the fence and goes into the ground and the dirt, and there's these disgusting, like, worms and stuff, like, writhing, and it's, it's, it's horrific. And, like, that's what his whole career is basically about. It's about showing these kind of classic uh, symbols that we are trained to think are safe and are, you know, ideas that we're trained to think are normal and showing the what is dark underneath them and what they're hiding. And that's what Twin Peaks is about, too. It's this seemingly kind of idyllic town uh, that where ev- but everyone has, like, their own secrets and their own kind of mm. dark desires. Um, and so it, that's why the show, I think, excited a lot of people um, and why it was so influential, because... <laughs> I mean, I, I I could go on, I could go on, but like that's just as a just as a primer for the series. I think that's kind of how the series should be experienced. It's not necessarily as, although I gotta say, um, for all the people who kind of knock Lynch as not really caring about narrative, rewatching this pilot, they set up a lot of stuff that won't get paid off for a while. Just like you know, like stuff to do with the mystery, basically. Um, where I was like, oh, haha, they're like, you know they're setting that up for later um so it and part of that i think is the influence of you know this wasn't all david lynch there he co-created the show with mark frost who is a tv guy he makes like pretty he made at least pretty traditional tv like procedural shows um so that's twin peaks is part of why it's cool is because it is a guy like david lynch working with a guy like mark frost and their sensibilities um kind of you know, straining the worst parts of each other out in a lot of ways, um, and making something that's really unique. So when you when you say um, you know show, showing sort of showing the uh, the reality underneath the well, not the reality, but just like the you know the darker stuff that is so easily hidden, I guess, by these you know seemingly perfect things. Sure. So it's so it's Desperate Housewives. If you had just said that, oh, Desperate Housewives definitely. <laughs> I mean, definitely influenced by Twin Peaks for sure. Um, I, you know, it's funny. This isn't completely unrelated, but um, I did start watching the first, uh, maybe the first half season of uh of Desperate House Housewives. It's like a like a well made show. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think I've seen all of it, but yeah, it's 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 not bad. Yeah, it's it's a lot because I I didn't know much about it, um, but I ended up watching it. A, a while back and yeah actually but it it does have some um some relationship here as, as uh, the other thing too though i mean you said all this by the way um uh i believe it's 
pareidolia uh, that you're yes. referring to the yes. finding patterns yeah um i have very little experience with lynch um other than uh like mulholland drive and you know some essays and things and and, and things i know about david lynch outside of uh, film and television um and mulholland drive is is obviously a well i don't know um it's a movie and uh it's very uh uh it was different i was not uh when i saw it i was i remember being very um confused for those people haven't seen it and this isn't ruining anything because i don't know how to ruin mulholland drive for you but um it like the last what is it 20 minutes 30 minutes uh the movie just sort of restarts and is like a different movie and it's a very but with like the same actors but everything's different and anyway um it was very uh sort of jarring and off-putting especially even for you know having watched lots of avant-garde and all these other um kinds of uh film and and television and that kind of thing and animation um Mulholland Drive was uh very different for me uh so with that as my only background, I was actually surprised at how relatively straightforward at least this pilot was, um, which I, I know may, may change as, as time goes on uh, with the show, but I did, it was actually uh, surprising that it, it flowed along this, this fairly normal murder narrative, well told, but less bizarre than I had been expecting. Yeah, it is kind of funny. They don't, I, I I think I've discussed this with you before, so it's not really spoiling anything to say that there is a, you could call it a supernatural element to this show, um, mm-hmm. that we won't get into for a few episodes. But it is funny that like, what I something that I consider so core to the show is its weirder elements is yeah it is almost completely absent from the pilot, um, and the pilot is kind of really different in a lot of ways from the show. Uh, from the rest of the show, particularly in the characterization of Cooper, who is almost unrecognizable in this iteration. Um, oh, that's weird. Yeah, and, and you'll see you'll see kind of the real Cooper as we go in. But it is clear in this pilot they didn't really have a handle on that character or what they wanted to do with him. Um, the rest of the characters are pretty much fully formed. They arrive fully formed, more or less. Um, but ju- I. I guess to leap back into where we left off, um, mm-hmm. one of my favorite... There's this kind of running motif in this episode of the police car showing up in the background of a shot and someone's about to get very bad news. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the best ones of those, just this incredible scene where uh, Leland, who's... Um, well, first of all, it's just soul-crushing when they cut to the reveal of Laura of her face... And then they cut to her mom, Sarah Palmer, calling her down for breakfast. It's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and they play Laura Palmer's theme like six times in this episode, and it's just really sad. Yeah. Um, but it, there's this great scene where Leland gets called out of his meeting, um, and Sarah's calling him saying, I don't know where Laura is. And he's saying, well, you know, she's probably with, with Bobby, her boyfriend's fine. And then you see the sheriff's uh, car pull up outside behind him. And it's just, right. it's so well staged because it's this kind of creeping, like, uh, tension of, you know what's about to happen, and it's just, it's it's not 
it's smart because it's not like it's it's not coming out of nowhere like the sheriff's suddenly is knocking on the door um, or is standing next to him it's this it, right. it makes the pit in your stomach even wider because you go into that scene knowing what's about to happen but then he shows you as it's happening as it, as the sheriff gets closer and closer and closer and then the great reveal of when and this is another great thing that happens several times in this episode is characters will and several times on this show, actually, now that I think about it, there's this thing where characters just, they kind of intuit things that it, that they're about to be told before they actually, like, are told them. So when Leland sees the mm. sheriff there, he just knows what he's about to say. Um, and mm-hmm. he drops the phone, and there's that great shot of the, uh, just panning down the, the cord of the phone. Remember when phones had cords? Mm-hmm. Um, and you could, and yep. you could do shots like this. Um, to, and, and you could hear Sarah crying on the other line. It's just a really, like... I mean, I'm going to use the heart, word heartbreaking again. It's a heartbreaking scene, and it's so, so well executed. Just every kind of detail of, of how these characters are set up together. Um, and it happens several, like, they kind of do it several times over in this episode, but it works every time. I was thinking about the, uh, the technological um, period that this takes place. This came out in, what, the early 90s? Yeah, 1990, I think. 1990. Oh, okay, because um, some characters have they they reference car phones at some point, um, which was a brief thing, <laughs> uh, and also, but then at some point they seems like they have a wireless phone. Um, I think Cooper. They are. I think Cooper might because he works for the FBI, so he can have like. No, no, the um the sheriff's uh, is it Andy or. The the guy who calls from the when they find the place where she was killed. Oh, maybe um, they do. Uh, yeah, they they might. That's um. He's just he's just walking around with like a phone. I mean, it's it's big, but it's a it's cordless. Um, maybe it's it belongs to like some nearby vehicle or something, or I I don't know. I honestly don't know what '90s technology looked. Like. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, alive, <laughs> but not really paying attention, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, I guess, you know, that's a, so the reason I bring that up, it seems like a trivial thing to bring up. The reason I bring it up is that, um, also revealing my age, which is just, uh, not really the point of it. Um, (laughs) the reason I I bring it up is that I think, uh, it's always funny to me seeing old movies or shows or whatever, um, where a cell phone would change the story dramatically. Yeah. Um. Uh, where it's like, well, now we would just call and it would be resolved in like a second, but um, in this case, it's not. Um, so I was just wondering, you know, how far along are they in that process so that we can sort of depend on certain things? Because you should have different expectations. If You know, how fast does news travel? How fast is this, you know? Um, so I was just curious in, in that regard. Uh, yeah, so, so we're not like... going to be seeing a lot of cell phones. Um... <laughs> <laughs> At least for the first few a lot of cell phones now. Yeah, although I will say, um, um, season three, it kept just it kept rocking me how like just to see these characters uh, using c- cell phones and like laptops mm. and stuff. It was it's so weird. Um, <laughs> but you know yeah, that's that's way off. Um, yeah, there's this most of the first like half of this episode is basically scenes like this uh, where of mm-hmm. characters kind of learning about what happened to Laura. Um, although we do get intros to, like, um, 
uh, Audrey, uh, who's, well, first of all, Leland is working with Benjamin Horn, who owns the Great Northern Hotel, where Cooper mm-hmm. ends up staying. Um, oh, okay. And he is working on this uh, real estate deal with these, I don't remember what country they're supposed to be from. They're like Norwegian. Um, they're Norwegian, Norwegian yes. Um which Audrey uh, ruins the deal later in the episode. Yeah. Um, Audrey's a real. Audrey's a troublemaker. Um, but Leland works with uh, Ben, and they. Uh, he. This is the meeting he gets called out of uh, to find out. Right. Um, and the, the uh, it, it, there's a lot of uh, weird, um, weird, uh, like sinister overtones to all these to a lot of scenes that happen early on that don't really have anything to do with Laura Palmer. It's just, broadly speaking, they're strange um, or the implications are uh, sinister to me, anyway. Um, So, like, for example, uh, they have this whole conversation about air quality uh, or he's talking about air quality and how the Norwegians were worried about air quality because they wanted to build their um, uh, Ghostwood Estates. Um, and like they live in the middle of nowhere with as many trees as you know possible that you could ever find. Like it's commented on multiple times, um, and it's not like there's pollution or anything else. And so the conversation about air quality uh, was seems a bit strange, right? So like just bringing that up. Why why bring that up in the context of? Um, it, it just it like implies that there's something harmful about the air. No, 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 no. See, see, see. This is the sort of thing you have to stop, like, considering on it with a Lynch thing. I think, like. No, no, no. I'm not saying. No, no. I'm not suggesting that there is. I'm just saying that like it's it's. I, I'm not interested in like. Oh, there's the air is everyone's at a robot or something. It's not nothing like that. I just mean, it it like, it's delivered in a way to make you feel at ill at ease. Is my point. Like it has nothing to do with like the plot. I I don't know or care about the air in Twin Peaks <laughs> in like a real sense. It's just a question of like, like why you know if there's there, there's dependable things in a country town, like you know that it's probably at least the very least nice to walk around and not worry about like the air quality and like they have to put that also on the chopping block of like things that to not be comfortable with. Um, and so I just, I, 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 for me anyway, that's, that's how it came across. Um, and then later, and this is plot related, we like very briefly get this, um, this hint at the, um, uh, I don't know any of these characters names, so I'm, I'm, I hope you yeah. are like, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still figuring that. Um, but there's that truck that's in the, uh, there's that whole scene where, um, yes, yes. Is it, Leo, it's is Leo's it, truck. It's Leo's truck. Okay, so it's Leo's truck. Um, and when they see the truck, the, um, is it Bobby? Yeah, Bobby is and Shelly. Yeah, Bobby just, like, drives off. Like, she gets, you know, backs up immediately, drops her off, and, like, starts, uh, you know, booking it out of there. Uh, and in that case, that's very... Um, but these moments came, like, not far after each other. And it was just this, like, not directly related to the murder and still yet, you know, despite that making it feel very um, uncomfortable. Well, that's definitely uh, and, a, that, that's definitely what they're trying to establish in this episode, is to make you mm-hmm. uh, 
as they are establishing all these characters, they are definitely trying to get you to think about who you should trust. Um, mm-hmm. And that, which is why, you know, not why they set it up with a murder, but it, the fact that it's set up with a murder puts a different, it puts all of the characters you're meeting in a different light because you kind of mm-hmm. can't help but be suspicious of all of them. Um, right. Because you don't necessarily know, I mean, you didn't see, you didn't see whatever their alibis are. So for all you know, any one of them could be lying. Um, right. So when they set up a character like uh, Ben Horn, who's talking about the air quality, or um, Leo especially, these are all characters who you're supposed to like get that sense of like, should I be considering that this person might have something to do with the murder? Um, right. And some of that is going to be like you mentioned earlier, red herrings, but it's part of the. It, it's it's not meant to mislead, but part of the fun of the show at this point in the show is when you know so little about these characters everything is filtered through the context of this murder um mm-hmm. like for me rewatching a character that i'm suspicious of is audrey um because she is like we see her being very meddlesome and seeming not very sad about laura's death <laughs> yeah i noted that yeah she has absolutely no like uh observable uh reaction to the, to the news that laura died right um, and you're and you're def and especially with like um, the the major suspect for most of the episode is Bobby, um, so you're meant to be right. kind of getting a sense of like oh and Bobby you know he's definitely a bad boy like that's his archetype in a lot of ways, but he doesn't come across as like that bad. Um, he's he can be kind of a jerk. He's like a jerk to his parents, um, but he definitely mm-hmm. like you get more of a sense about his character from how other people treat him in this episode. Like, the sheriff right. and all the deputies treat him like he is a scumbag and a criminal. Um, but when we first see him, he's like, you know, he's making jokes with Shelley, and he's he doesn't seem like a bad person, um, despite his leather jacket. So it's, it's an interesting way of characterizing people. And we get this in, you know, it is similar to Deadwood in, in setup in a lot of ways. And we'll see this thing that Deadwood does where characters would kind of cross each other's paths a lot. Um... And we'd see different people kind of bounce off each other. And that is a lot of what Twin Peaks is doing as well. Um, And we're seeing characters, we're learning about them based not just on how they act, but on how other people are referring to them and thinking about them. Um, Even, and what's interesting is when that information uh, conflicts. Mm -hmm. Right, absolutely. And I think uh, it's funny, as I was watching this, there's a whole arc I know about in Deadwood that I... (laughs) can't i can't talk about because uh, it comes later but um that's bit would would draw more comparisons i think with twin peaks uh just 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 surface level but um it would be it's going to be funny to go assuming we if we swap off seasons or whatever um it would be funny to see the uh what what small what small connections there would be there to 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 come to light um but I, that's as much as i can say about that but it, it did it did occur to me in this context cuz i was like well you know, small town is about as far as we could go with Deadwood, but then I was like, well, then there is that other thing. But... <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So no, I no, I definitely agree. Uh, the other thing too is that there's a lot of um, a lot of characters and scenes are coded with music, certain musical uh, pieces. Yes. Um, and and by the way, this is this is something that it's on two points. So on the first point, 
I don't think anyone's ever made this comment about Twin Peaks. That's right. I'm going to say something. <laughs> that's my assertion. Um, but the second one is that it's really inane, so it is, who cares? Um, but this is what I'm going to say. Uh, there's a really dumb, uh, but also actually quite fun and, and uh, has a weird cult following, um, a video game called uh, Lugaroo, which was like a, a rabbit kung fu fighting game, um, which came out, I don't know, in 2000s, I think. And the music for one one of the tracks that plays in throughout this episode it's not laura palmer's theme it's not the jazz soundtrack but like a different one that's just like long notes in the background uh i don't know how to describe it i'm really bad at describing music um but anyway it's this i feel like it's the same track i feel like this maybe maybe this game used the soundtrack from twin peaks but every time it plays i'm like this is literally the menu music for Lugaru. it's <laughs> extremely weird um so every time it, it's because i didn't think i would like recognize but it, i'm telling you it's the same thing um but in any case there is this um wow. and again i don't think anyone's going to compare this to a kung fu rabbit fighting game but it it is um so anyway uh there's but there's these musical cues for for different parts of the show and um both the school strangely and um cooper have this like jazz piece that seems to play when they are um, like the focal point of a scene, um, which also I did when there's jazz is not something I would necessarily have associated with a show based on you know its aesthetic and and tone, um, but it's a lot like uh, more lively than uh, than any of the other music on the show because most mostly it's very somber and depressing and um, kind of eerie uh but the the jazz isn't it's, uh well at least to me anyway it's much more um engaging and uh fast-paced like i i like when cooper is introduced because he's introduced with this long monologue where he keeps talking to diane into his little recorder thing um but he's moving much faster than everybody else in the town he's he's talking faster and uh he's driving but also the music is playing and it's sort of like uh it's almost like beat poetry or something um <laughs> When he's the way he's talking yeah. uh, and the way it's playing in the background, it's just it's just a very different flavor. Yeah, I would say I don't know if it's a fifty-fifty split, but there is definitely a distinction between the jazzy elements of the soundtrack and the like, kind of melancholy synths of the soundtrack. Um, mm. The music on Twin Peaks is amazing. Um, Angelo Badalamenti is the composer. Um, the opening theme is great. The interesting fact, which I don't know if you picked up on, you probably did. Uh, the singer in the Roadhouse uh, near the end of the episode is named Julie Cruz, mm. and one of the songs she sings is the opening theme uh, with lyrics. Um, and then I think she sings uh, The Nightingale as well. But her music is all... Uh, she's, an, she's an actual singer outside of Twin Peaks, but she her songs are written by David Lynch and Angela Padalamenti, um, oh. like prior to the show. They, have, like, they, they had a working relationship, and she's really great, and we'll see her a couple more times at usually at significant moments, but it's that I forgot that she had actually appeared this early. Um, and that's a great scene, but that's, that's a little, a little later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, this, uh, I did like, it did, um, it, that actually, that singing scene, um, partially because I have such a narrow frame of reference for David Lynch, but it did remind me of the, um, 
theater and and Mulholland Drive. Oh, yeah. and for some reason, it just it, it's it has that maybe it's the way it's shot, um, but I definitely it definitely felt like more like David Lynch. Also because the song was really weird and not like a song that anyone would know. <laughs> <laughs> they made it for the show. Um, but anyway, yes. Uh, where does that where does that leave us with the? Um, well, there's um, a brief scene where uh, Sheriff Truman and Leland are in the hospital to uh, uh, confirm the uh, identity mm-hmm. of the corpse. And I just wanted to I had one note about the scene, which is that he gives he gives both of them a lot of room below the feet in terms of the framing. Um, whereas normally in a scene like this, uh, you have you know kind of like you cut them off at three quarters. It's pretty traditional TV framing or anything framing in just a conversation between two people, um, but he gives them like it's almost it, it gives them the sensation that like they're floating almost um, with how much room just underneath uh, their feet he gives them and it's an interesting way to frame the scene. It's when they're standing in the hallway, um, mm-hmm. but I, I thought that was a cool. It gives it's easy if you're not really if you're not really looking. It's easy to not see all of these kind of things that make Twin Peaks visually stand out from television, and especially now, you know, post-Twin Peaks, it's basically impossible to understand the, like, you know, like, this dropped like an atom bomb on television, basically. Nothing looked like this, um, or Mm -hmm. was like this. It was, and it's especially funny, as we'll go on, like, to remember that Twin Peaks was a huge phenomenon. Now we think of it as, like, a cult thing that only a few people are really into, but, like, this pilot was it was viewed by like something like 25 or 30 million people which never happens anymore anyway wow. for different reasons but like yeah twin peaks was gigantic um for a while <laughs> but it's yeah it's the impact that it had on television and how different it was from everything else on television is harder to see now i think just because like you know we have a lot of shows that imi- not not imitate it but that it opened the door basically to a way to make television that was different from kind of what people thought television was <laughs> before mm-hmm. it, before it aired. Um, and it's hard to kind of see that now. No, no, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I think that that's, it's true with a lot of historically significant uh, art uh, where you're seeing it and you're like, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's because, you know, in context, uh, you know, it, it it reminds me of uh, like you know, famously for film stuff. You know, people talk about Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah, about to say the same thing. Yeah. Um, but because you know, it was like, oh, it was not, it's non-linear. The the story is you know not in the order that it actually happens. And you're like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like every show, TV, uh, movie, uh, from like bad to good, like every movie but it's like well but yes but it's also not you know almost at the, like a century ago <laughs> so it's kind of like a, a question of um, you know at the time like that's not how anything was shot or done or, or told or narratively like expressed anything uh, so it, it it may seem passe now but it wasn't at the time um, and so and, and it can be hard to convey that uh, it's easier with something that's like technological, like oh, this was the first sound film, uh, or the first color film, or something like that. But uh, when it's something um, uh, structural, 
about the the way the thing was made um it can be hard to see you know it see it in context uh so yeah I do, it definitely makes sense to me um and it's something I'll, yeah, I'll, tr I'll try and keep in mind because uh, it's it you know it's hard now when we have all these other shows that do a lot of filmmaking filmmaking type things um that that wasn't necessarily you know that wasn't the case in you know the 90s yeah um the next scene is this superb sequence at the school um where we beat donna and james um who were laura's uh best friends um the again this is the way this unfolds is really similar to the scene earlier with laura's parents um where they they're kind of they're like, have you seen Laura? No, I haven't seen her yet. You know, I don't know where she is. And then we see them in the classroom right. and Donna looks over and her desk is empty. And it's this great, again, just the way I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about the way it unfolds is so, so brilliant. Where the state trooper comes in to talk, whisper to the teacher and Donna again, like glances at the empty desk. And then she sees someone screaming outside and running away crying. And it's like at that moment, she just knows what happened and she bursts into tears. It's just... It's again, it's just mm -hmm. heartbreaking because, and it's, and it, first of all, it's great writing because it means we don't have to have the exact same scene over and over of characters being told what happened. Um, cause that would get old pretty quick. Um, but mm -hmm. it all, and it also gives us an insight into how close these certain characters were with each other or with Laura. Uh, like you can tell, uh, immediately what kind of relationship Donna and Laura had and James to an extent. Um, like when he snaps the pencil, right. <laughs> um, like, you just get how close they were, and you don't need them to talk. You don't need her to talk about it, because you just, like, just the fact that she is, uh, that she just gets right away what happened is enough, and it's just, why wow, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really good scene. I, I actually found it, yeah, I, I found, I like this one more than the, uh, the, the other, when, when her parents find out, um, I, I, I attributed it more to just, I think, um, the actor who plays Donna is very good, uh, so I was I was sold more on this. Um, and not that I wasn't before, but I just I don't, this this one actually had some for me like some emotional reaction uh, that I wasn't expecting, especially seeing as like we didn't know this character who died, um, don't know this character we just met, and yet I was more I was even more attached to, to this particular moment. Um, than I was to to the other one, but yeah, no, I th I thought it was uh, it was very effectively done, and we do see like these three characters as well because we also see um, what's her name? Oh. Audrey, the one the one who doesn't react. Yeah, Audrey, yeah, yeah, who doesn't react because it's all in the same scene. Um, so yeah, we learn we learn a lot about just the three of them without much uh, without any dialogue, um, and obviously they become quite important throughout the rest of the episode. Right. Um, uh, parallel to this is Bobby's, and we talked about a little, Bobby's interrogation um, by uh, Deputy right. Andy and Deputy Hawk. And again, we got a great scene earlier than this of the, uh, just, we. there's a really brief shot of, like, some students, like, kind of goofing off in the hallway, and you're not really sure why we're seeing this, but then you see the two of them walking past in the background. And it's so, like, mm -hmm. again, it's great. It's like, the, the focus isn't on them, and, it, but it's so, like... God, I just I don't have enough I, I don't know I don't want to just be like the superlative machine um but it's <laughs> it's 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 a great way to stage like to not not increase the tension but to like hit 
the tension that's already in you, or like, oh god, they're here, like, right. and you know something's about to go down. Um, right, right, right. And Bobby, I'm curious what you make of this scene with Bobby and how sincere you find him. Um, you know, it's hard for me to take any interrogation scene seriously anymore <laughs> in anything uh because every show has done every combination where either they're really convincing but they did they did do it or they're really convincing and they didn't do it or they like seem very guilty but they didn't do it or they seem very guilty but they did do it or you know and it's just like that guessing game is not that interesting to me. I was actually very relieved when Cooper's like, he didn't do it. Um, that was 10 times more interesting seeing him say that and then continue to interrogate him in quotes, even though he was, had decided he hadn't done it. Um, like that was, you know, to me it was a scene much more about Cooper than it was about, you know, whether or not Bobby did or didn't do it. Um, if that makes sense, I don't. know. It's just like the. It's impossible to know because like. What frustrates me is, and like it's it shouldn't be this way, um. But when there's an interrogation, it's like the character, the actor is trying to, act, like a character acting. Or not acting, but like, it just doesn't work for me because I feel like they've. Again, because there's so many cop shows and movies. It's actually astonishing how many of them there are. Um, <laughs> and and how many... I mean, consider just in Law & Order alone. Forget about its spinoffs. Just Law & Order. How many interrogations there are. I mean, it's like... And then, you know, now we're... Then there's every spinoff, every uh, other procedural show, every parody like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or all these other shows. Uh, you know, just... It's endless. And so... Um, and then movies and whatever. So it's like, it it it's hard to do a good interrogation scene. I didn't think there was anything wrong with this, but actually what I, I found more interesting about it and what is generally uh, uh, the easier and better tack to take, I think, is to focus on the interrogator uh, who is, you know, often the focal point of the story anyway and learn more about them. Um, it's actually why I find, don't find procedurals on TV all that interesting because they're not often so focused uh they're focused on the crime of the week and figuring out who did it than they are the development of the detectives or or whatever uh in that particular context um and so here obviously we're this isn't going to be crime of the week it's not that kind of things where we are more interested in the uh, investigator in some ways and this this weird new fbi guy who's just shown up um so I think that's this that's this definitely the smarter approach and so for me it worked on that level. As far as Bobby and whether or not you know, I, I buy his sincerity, it was seems sincere. I, I, honestly it's it's anyone's guess. He could be a sociopath. I really have no insight and <laughs> I find that making assumptions based on an interrogation session in any story is pretty much unless it's like a transparently like really boring by the numbers show. Um just a recipe for being like haha no you were wrong you thought a thing and it wasn't true because this character is really has multiple personalities didn't you know that haha um so i'm just i'm not going to engage with that but um i did i did like the scene because i thought it was um i thought it was uh because they show the video also during this scene as well 
and this is the scene a little later. Um, the after Cooper gets oh, okay. there. Okay. Yeah, because I agree with you about that scene. They do talk to him first in the school library for a little bit. Um, then that's more of the, the, the later scene is more of an interrogation, I guess. Uh, okay, we're right. Right when they first they first start talking about him. Yeah, and he's completely mystified um, as to what's going on, yeah. or allegedly anyway. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I bought that. I bought that because he seems, I mean, again, how could anyone know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's kind of like hard to tell. I will say that based on his behavior later, uh, and particularly his his friend, uh, the the dude with the blonde hair, uh, Mike, yeah, he's, like, they seem a lot uh, worse than they first um, appear to be in the Mm -hmm. show. Like Mike seems like a jerk, and Bobby seems well, also like a jerk, like a jerk in a different way. Um, but then by the end of it, they just seem kind of like that. That scene, that you know, just jumping all the way to the end. But um, that scene where uh, Mike is talking to uh, he's it's like doctor or something or whatever the, the guy at the house. Um, uh, when he says that he's gonna go find, oh, what's her name? Why can't I remember any of these characters' names? Donna. Um, Donna. Yeah, they're gonna go find. He's they're they're gonna go find uh, Donna. Or he says, "Well, we'll find her, or, or you know, whatever." And it's so sinister and creepy. Um, and of course, he like when he finds her, he like like physically like like grabs her and it like attacks her, and it's, it's like really awful. Um, that's not communicated the first time you see the characters. Like they just seem kind of like bad, but not that bad and then later it's very clear that they're like abusive and and kind of terrible or at least mike is um and certainly bobby is like a party to that so um with that in mind looking back at like his earlier reactions and, and interactions with other characters um it seems to be a bit more like i distrust it more in that con- if that makes sense yeah interesting hmm Okay, well, <laughs> I just wanted to get your read on Bobby because he's a, uh, like you say, he's a character who uh, is often hard to trust. Um, mm-hmm. The first time I watched the series, I really did not like him, and it wasn't until actually the, the third season came out that I really I really liked him in that season when he's older, um, and it sheds new light on him here that I it makes him a... A fuller character, I found, but that's later. Um, <laughs> the mm. next scene is, again, an, is another scene with Sarah, who's an intriguing character. Uh, the cops are searching her house, and there's this great kind of strange moment when she hears footsteps upstairs, and she seems kind of spooked. Um, mm. she's, and she says, who's upstairs? And if, it, it's interesting because surely she saw them go upstairs, and she knows who's in her house, and she's just sort of like immediately forgotten but it gives the sense that like she is there there's something kind of there's a reason that she is kind of spooked here that has nothing that has more to do with than just the situation and there's that scene at the end of the episode we'll get to that's very very weird (laughs) um but this is kind of foreshadowing to that um but they find like you said the camcorder and they find her diary and then they say that um, another girl is missing, Ronette Pulaski, um, mm-hmm. and that that will uh, well that that gets resolved a little later. But 
Ronette's father, Janik, works at the mill, which is in the next scene. And uh, right. <laughs> this this episode for a little while really kind of flies, um, especially now that we're in kind of the lead up to uh, Cooper being introduced. So there's this right. kind of brief scene with um, Josie and Catherine and Pete, and we don't really know why their relationship is what it is, and we'll learn a lot more about that later. But uh, suffice to say that Josie owns the mill, and she decides that she's going to shut it down for the day. And again, this is and yeah. I was confused by that, like, why they were shutting down the mill. I remember I, I, I wrote down a note there. Well, um, um, what I, the reasoning given is that uh, Ronette's dad works there, and because Laura has been found dead, there is an assumption that those two things are connected. And, like, mm. but again, this is part of, like, what it's saying about the town in general is this idea that the town is so close-knit that an event like this is so shocking that these are the kinds of repercussions it has that everyone mm-hmm. working at the mill like they couldn't get through the day of work because of what's happened to Laura Palmer and Ronette you know and again they right. find her in a little, uh, the next scene actually um but this is again it's such a great insight into how this town operates the idea that something like this it, the shockwaves reverberate through absolutely everyone and everyone is kind of touched by it. And not just that, but like, you know, the fact that someone was murdered in the town at all, let alone a, a young girl who, has, who was as, as popular and beloved as Laura Palmer. Just the fact that there was a murder in this town is, is, right. is so shocking. Um, and that's why I really like this scene. And also because Josie and Catherine, um, we'll get into them. But, and also I really like Piper Laurie's performance uh, in general. And <laughs> she's really fun. Mm. As as Catherine. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I thought um, the, uh, like I, to me the, so a lot of the opening shots and things have to do with the um the mill, yeah. um. So I was a bit surprised that the, like to me that I I don't so I I associate small towns with like oh this is a blank town like a mining town or a mill like where most people are employed by a certain like central thing and i assume that's what the the mill was so i wouldn't expect them to shut it down so i I was just kind of surprised in this in this context even if somebody died like if somebody died in like a mining town they would not shut down the mines probably because i I assume i what the hell do i know about mining towns but i i assume they wouldn't because that's how everyone's like making their living um and that there's like outside parties that would be dependent on such uh like an output and so that they wouldn't for just for the sake of like maintaining everybody's um you know jobs and salaries and things like that um but then here it just gets shut down and again it was only what i was led to believe just by visual cues and things like that oh i mean they think you're you're reading it correctly but that is why i mean that that's the significance that the scene is supposed to have right i think you're supposed to understand all of that so the fact that it is being the fact that Josie shuts it down because of this, it it's meant to. It, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to feel like a big deal, basically, because it is. Oh, okay, right, right. Makes sense. Right. Um. Yeah. No. I, I think this. Uh, does that that scene leads? So that leads into. Does it lead into Cooper arriving? Um. Well, first we see Ronette, and she's discovered, and she is her clothes are all she's tattered. She's discovered. She's just sort of. She's been beaten right, up. Right. She's walking. Yeah, by yeah. the bridge. Um. And that that's important because uh, that's the reason Cooper comes to town is because she uh, crossed state lines. 
in her uh, in her journey. So that's why they had to get the FBI involved. Um, and then there's a quick scene where James visits his uh, Uncle Ed's gas station, Big Ed's gas farm, um, and gives him a note right. for Donna. And we meet Ed and Nadine, um, who are his, his uh, James's uncle and aunt, not his parents, um, which confused me for a while <laughs> the first time I saw the series. But they're not his parents. I wasn't even sure that they were related, to be honest. Yeah. I was like a bit confused. Um, I figured that they had some relationship, but I couldn't. I wasn't entirely sure. Um, also, yeah, his aunt has a eye patch. Yes. Again, that's another just like, yep. I it was the first thing I thought of when you were talking earlier about, like the name of uh, the sheriff. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, and the eye patch. I'm sure. As soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's not relevant, is it? <sighs> nope. <laughs> um, um, but no, the very next scene. You're right. It's the, actually, the first thing I thought of was uh, that reminds me of of John Goodman's character in. Oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he has, but he has an eye patch because he's the Cyclops. Right. Uh, yeah. From, like, Greek myth. <laughs> uh, but here, no. No, it's, uh, it's just a thing. Um, like a, a like an unrelated uh, quirky thing. Uh, <laughs> Twin Peaks. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so then... Uh, yeah, so then uh, I, I guess then Cooper comes in? Yes, uh, he drives into town. He's narrating uh, a tape to his secretary, Diane, which he does a whole, yep. he does that a whole lot, uh, just a whole lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and again, yep. it's it's interesting because Cooper here is not, like I said, this is not the same Cooper who we'll see for most of the series. The Cooper, you know, I mean, you'll see him, but he is a lot more kind of warm and generous in spirit and kind the cooper in the pilot is very cold and kind of aloof and a little mean mm-hmm. almost in in places and it was just strange to see that a little bit yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't characterize him as warm or or anything like that but also um i didn't feel like he was mean but he also does weird like callous things yes almost yeah. um almost uh i just uh i was use an example but Almost like Sherlock Holmes, if Sherlock Holmes, you know, if it was like a show that that did Sherlock Holmes in a way that made sense, <laughs> uh, was like accurate to the books, where he's sort of like, because he's following the case and not really focused on other people, he seems kind of rude, but isn't doing it maliciously, you know. Um, to me, that's um, that's very that's very Sherlock Holmes type of thing, and. Um, he seems to do that, but yeah, he does this weird, uh, like transitions from one topic to the other. Like he's talking about these deaths. Uh, he's so focused on finding this clue and um, connecting it to these uh, this other murder, and uh, that, and so he's not really thinking about them as like humans, where he doesn't really talk about them like they're humans, and like does these weird transitions between talking about a murder and then talking about trees, or like the local wildlife or things like that. Um, and just oscillating back and forth, but with really no transition whatsoever. And it's, um, it's a bit, it's a bit jarring. Um, and maybe different than what we're, we're, you know, we'll, we'll see with him later, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It's certainly intended to be the way they characterized him. Yeah. yeah. Cooper. I mean, what does carry over is that Cooper is definitely a very excitable person and he does kind of get, mm-hmm. He gets hyper focused on things, but he also is very attentive, and he'll pick up on details like uh, that mm-hmm. don't really, that aren't really related to the thing he maybe is supposed to be thinking about. Like he, 
uh, doesn't know the name of the trees, but he thinks they're beautiful. And he, it's funny, like the way that they write it is he gives uh, Truman the whole spiel about how the FBI he's in charge now and the sheriff works for him. And then as soon as like he's done with that. He like grabs him by the shoulder and he's like, "All right, now like you got to tell me what the name of those trees are." And it's like, and yeah. like that's Cooper. Um, he is, as we'll see later, he's empathetic almost to a fault, um, and he just has a, just a a love of the, of the world and people. Um, that's we very weirdly don't see in this episode, but we will. Um, but they go, so they go see Runnet, and uh, she is not responsive. Because she's, you know, very obviously very traumatized, um, right. and then they encounter uh, Doctor Jacoby, who's played by, um, oh, crap, what's his? Damn it! It's um, oh crap, Tam. It's, what's his first name? It's Tamlin. His last name is Tamlin. He's a very famous actor. <laughs> I'm very embarrassed that I didn't remember I'm Russ Russ sure. Tamlin. Um, Russ Tamlin playing Dr. Jacoby who is very strange and very suspicious right off the bat maybe the most suspicious character we meet in the entire episode Um, very suspicious but uh, also I honestly wasn't sure what was going on throughout that whole scene because like they see him briefly as the elevator's closing and then he comes out of the door on the top because I guess he went up the stairs (laughs) And I wasn't sure if they were showing like it was a like a um, uh, like a mental hospital ward type thing floor, and that he was like a patient. I honestly had no idea what was going on there. So when he shows up, I was like, "Oh, is he a patient type thing?" And that's what's going on here. Is he's just somebody who happens to know the sheriff because the sheriff comes by the hospital every now and again. Um, but no, he's a psychiatrist apparently. Um, but when he, like, his whole thing is so over the top that, you know, I actually dismissed him immediately because I was like, all right, well, if he's the murderer, he is a terrible, he's terrible at his job <laughs> and he should find a new profession. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, um, he's like the Scooby-Doo, like the first one that you suspect in the Scooby-Doo mystery. Um, like the first one that the show would be like, this is our first suspect. Um when really you know it's the janitor, it's always the janitor. Um, and so it's uh, it was just funny when um, when he shows up. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he didn't do it. I know he's like very suspicious, and it would probably be interesting to know in relation to learn like to learn more about what the, whatever the hell Laura was doing because clearly there's other stuff to her character that we don't know about. Um, but I don't see any reason to suspect him as a as like a potential suspect in the murder. I just love the way they introduce him of, like, first of all, he's a psychiatrist, so he doesn't work at the general hospital. Um, he's just there because he really wants to examine the body. And then he right. says, well, Laura was my patient. And then he closes the conversation with, oh, but her parents didn't know I was seeing her. Um, it's just right. perfectly constructed to, like, make you very, very suspicious of... of well, yeah. exactly. So, but like to a degree that I was like, well, obviously then not. Oh, no. I mean, I, I think your your instincts are... Uh, again, it's like I don't want to say that whether they're correct or not, but like I, I think you're tuned into what the show is trying to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. Well, that's good. But again, it's like it's not necessarily that he's connected to the murder, but like he definitely has some secrets and some weird stuff going on, 
and you're kind of led to believe just by the just by like the context of the scene that it's connected to the murder but like e- everyone in town has has weird stuff that they're hiding um and he's no certainly and i i think that he would be, like it's i certainly I, I don't think he's plot irrelevant i just yeah i would be surprised if he was like a serial murderer i'd be like mm, yeah i don't know about that <laughs> um um so when they examine the i guess we'll find when out. they examine the body there's these great moments um First of all, the light, uh, the examination table light, keeps blinking on and yeah. off, and that yep. that is there because um, when they shot the scene, the examination light kept blinking on and off, and um, Lynch just liked it, because <laughs> again, it's like oh, really? it's just like a detail that, uh, a lot of the time he he's good at like inventing those details, but when they just kind of appear in reality, fully formed, um, he'll keep them because it serves the same purpose. Um, yeah, sure. That's funny that it was a that was, was actually in the like it was a, a real problem um, that they were having. Well, because I was thinking about it in that scene, it makes Cooper look really sinister at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, as it's like flashing behind him, um, which is not like again, I he doesn't strike me as a sinister character, but it, his weird artificial. Um, I'm trying to think of the way to like describe it. I know I'm trying to remember which scene it is that he says this, but at some point he says something that's really threatening, but he says it like with a smile. Is it, um I think this is what he says to Bobby, where he says like she never yeah, she never loved you Bobby, anyway, yeah. right? At the end of that scene. Um Or no, no, I think it's he, when he says, you know, I'm going to explain to you how this works. Where you, you know, I ask we ask the questions and you answer them or mm-hmm. anyway, it's at some point in that interrogation he's and he just says it with like this weird yes yes uh, I know what you're talking about yeah smile yeah and it's just a, like that and the other like I don't I don't read the characters being um, being like evil or sinister in any way because he doesn't seem like that kind of character even in this you know pilot episode um, but also it's just a weird like he's unnerving though still in the context of the show and what we've seen also because he doesn't look like the other characters um, also, I just want to point this out. I've seen Kyle McLaughlin and other things as a much older person. Mm. Uh, so it's funny to see him so young. He looks like a doll. It's very strange. Like, it's so smooth. His hair's so smooth. Like, everything's just so, like, put together. It's just not the way, uh, you know, he shows up in, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or these other, um, these other shows where he's just... Uh, like a, a normal like person but he also contrasts with I think the people in the town where because it's like you know this small town sort of feel and he's like this like FBI agent type of character um, but that effect altogether of being very um, like Astro Boy type of, like <laughs> polished look you know, if, they, if that yeah. illustrates the point um and and then this like weird like artificial smile as he's like sort of threatening, and then also the light flashing behind him and all this stuff. I was like, what is going on with this character? Uh, which again, I you know it, you're saying that this character is quite different in the rest of the show. So I, I don't know, but it's just in this particular uh, sequence. And I'm also like tuned into these weirdly sinister cues already based on stuff we've seen in, in the rest of the episode. So um, I just, yeah, it, it struck a weird chord with me. Mm. No, I agree with you. Um, he finds the letter R under her fingernail, yep. which is uh, our first real clue. Um, 
And again, it's like, I know this isn't the kind of viewer you are, but when you watch this show, you should not get too hung up on the clues. <laughs> um, because the way that the, like, the connect the connection, and again, I'm not spoiling anything, the connection that this has to the murder is not something that you could possibly hope to intuit before it's revealed. Um, and it's not, the reason it's a good mystery is is it's not like, when stuff gets revealed, it doesn't come out of nowhere because it does kind of, like, there is a more or less logical progression uh, to the to the reveal. But the clues, as they're introduced, there's just no way that you could possibly put together what they, like, mean. <laughs> um, which, is why, which is why I think it's a, a cool sort of mystery because, I mean, I think in the best, like, mystery stories, you are shown all the same clues that the detective character is and mm. we i wish we, we talked about this recently on something we did um but i yeah i said the exact i must have said the exact same thing but yeah it's like you know it was it was it was about Arya and sansa my god that's it. yes that's right that's right <laughs> yeah that's exactly right um in the but yeah so like the idea is that the detective will come up with the answer using all the same clues that you had but because you right. weren't a brilliant detective, you couldn't have put together all the connections. Um, right, exactly. Like, the viewer can't possibly put together all the connections with the information they're given. Um, but that doesn't mean that what ultimately turns out to be the answer is completely disconnected from the information they're given. So that it may, it's a it's a unique sort of. So setup. it doesn't it doesn't feel unfair. Exactly, ex that's exactly right. It doesn't feel unfair. It's very weird, <laughs> but it doesn't feel unfair. Hmm. Okay, well, that's uh, intriguing. Um, is that the? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ask any questions about this show. I was just wondering, like, if this is the. I don't even want to ask it. I'm not gonna. You ask can it. ask it. I won't say anything. All right. I'm not sure if the mystery of her murder is the primary focus of the whole show, or like half of this one season, or it'll be resolved in three episodes, or you know what I mean. Like, I don't know. Like, like I don't know what Twin Peaks is about. Twin Peaks is about. I thought it was about like Laura Palmer and that story and solving her murder, um, but that like I don't know contextually if that's especially since they did the sequel series and stuff like I can't fathom that you know that's they're reopening a cold case in that season or maybe they are I, I honestly have no idea so anyway it was just a thought that occurred to me mm, okay <laughs> yeah that's all I won't say anything about that um yeah <laughs> exactly so I didn't want to ask because I figured it was just a, uh, just a recipe for disaster no, I mean yeah um, you'll, you'll find out obviously right mm. of course naturally um <laughs> um all right so yeah. uh yeah, what 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 comes after that? Um, well, there's a, there's a quick scene where Donna goes to the gas station and Ed gives her the note from James. Right. Um, and Mike, who's her boyfriend, which I had forgotten that that was an aspect of the story because they have they're not in any kind of relationship really, <laughs> anything you could call a relationship. Um, but he's very mad because she's he tells her that she has to go to the sheriff's station to mm. support Bobby, <laughs> uh, who's being interrogated. Yeah, that that whole thing was, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, but the, again, that was my indication that like Mike slash Bobby are not. It was like the first little um, hint that when he already seemed like a jerk, and this was like really beyond the line. And then also again says that really like 
creepy sinister thing where he's like i'm not your friend or like or, or you know I, he says some like weird thing to ed that's super uh threatening and just very clearly um foreshadows the conflict that they have later in the episode uh and and in a in a way that's uh I, I don't know why it 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 reminds me of like other shows or TV. I don't know what I'm thinking of specifically, but where like there's an older male protector type figure, and like a young kid who is like really threatening, uh, and ends up and you just know that the old like protector type figure is going to like die or get you know in some way seriously injured. Uh, trying to be like retain like um, be that protector figure, even though they're not really equipped to deal with like, um, like a grandfather type figure type, you know that sort of thing. And so like when he said that, I was like, oh, like I was actually quite worried that that was the where it was going with Ed. That Ed was going to like die in this episode. Like who knows? Hmm. I, I honestly don't know anything about the character. Uh, so like that was that was sort of what was telegraphed with 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 this. Um, I don't know why I have that. It's a it's a trope. It's definitely a trope. I'm not I'm not making this up, uh, but I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So there was that, and then later, obviously, we have um, him being very threatening again uh, it, towards the uh, end of the episode with uh, when he's drunk with with Bobby. So um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a scene that uh, that communicates a lot about about his character. Um, although I guess if it doesn't I don't know how relevant his character is later in the uh, the series. Well, we go right to the again. It's like I, there's some I I don't want to answer these questions, <laughs> but yeah, you I are know. I think I know, you are thinking the right things. <laughs> um, and don't don't take anything from that. Don't don't even think about what I just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> we go right to the sheriff's station where they're looking at Laura's diary. They crack it open. Um, and I like this again. This I like this scene because when Cooper sees this little white bag with white powder in it, he very naturally says, "Test this for cocaine," right. <laughs> which is the natural conclusion to draw. Um, but Sheriff Truman says, "No way. There's no way that's cocaine. You didn't know Laura Palmer." Um, and again, just another great example and a great detail of like what people. And th- this is the first indication we're getting of Laura's character in an interesting way. This is really the first thing mm-hmm. we learn about her other than that she's dead, um, mm-hmm. is that she was hiding cocaine in her diary. Um, so, again, this is another great example of, like, how people, we get, we learn about people from the truth of them, but also from people's perception of them, and when the share, when Truman's immediate reaction is, there's no way, like, we all knew who Laura Palmer was, there's no way she did cocaine. Um, it tells you two things about her, which is, one, she did cocaine, and two, she was... She hid it from everyone. She had a secret right. like life, basically, um, which is confirmed when they go to the safety deposit box. As yes, well. um, and also that she wrote in her diary that she was nervous about meeting someone named Jay. Um, and at this point, we only know we know one character with the initial J. Um, so this is not right. exactly a mystery, but it is James, as we learn. Yeah, and they do. Uh... Yeah, like it's funny. James is revealed like two, three times as being <laughs> yeah. like the like oh, it's somebody with a motorcycle. Then they cut to a motorcycle, and it's uh, you know when they do that, <laughs> it's funny. They do the enhanced eyeball 
uh, reflection thing that they do in like CSI and everyone makes fun of them for. Mm-hmm. Um, in that scene, just a little bit later, uh, and it was just funny when they did it because I was like, "Hey, that's uh, that's that thing everyone makes uh, fun of CSI for." Um, but uh, yeah, but then they yeah they was like, "Oh, look, motorcycle! Oh, it's James!" And then they're like, "Oh, the other half of this heart necklace! Oh, it's James!" Uh, <laughs> you like, I feel like James has something to do with, uh, or like is clearly the indicated like or implicated person in this um, investigation, at least in terms of the clues that that Cooper seems to think will point to the person who's, um, you know, is the murderer. Um, Although we are also led to believe that James didn't actually have, wasn't actually the murderer, at least in the context of this episode. Um, So yeah, I just thought that was, uh, that was funny. I also really like the scene when, when he's going through the evidence and he says, um, the scenes often end or like, I don't know. There was this weird undercurrent of humor in this episode too. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, oh yeah. But it happens a lot. So uh, the one that in the scene is, you know, the way the scene ends, uh, Cooper says, Diane, I'm holding in my hand a small box of chocolate bunnies. <laughs> and then it just cuts away to something else. Yeah. And it was, it made me laugh. Um, it, was, it was cute. Um, and then later when the Norwegians are, distracted uh by audrey um when she's trying to disrupt the the whole uh ghost with estates deal um i thought that was uh it was also bizarre because they like they all turn their heads back and forth at the same time it's all very synchronized and very um like stage comedy (laughs) it was a very uh, odd moment um and it's like weirdly, like tonally, it's very strange to me. The show is very odd. Like I don't really know how to read it at all. Yeah, um, my favorite. It's like very serious and dramatic and foreboding, but then also like there's comedy. There's definitely there's comedy. Like jazz and it's yeah, it's just it's yeah. I don't know. My, maybe my favorite scene in the episode, at least on rewatch, is um when they are at the bank to open the safety deposit box and the the shot opens in this room in the dark and they flip the lights on and there's a deer head on the table. Yeah. And yeah. it's like no one really comments on it for a couple seconds, and then like they look at it and they look at the woman, like the teller or whatever, and she goes, "Oh, it fell down." <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, and then you're like, "Oh, it's it's this like it's such a brief, it's such a ridiculous image that's explained so, like succinctly, and it's like, oh yeah. well, of course, okay, that makes sense, but it's so it's such a strange like just visual, um, and, and it's just a it's I, I thought that was really funny. No, no, I agree. And I was, a, it's, it's another like, it's, a, it's a lot of absurd humor. Yeah. Um, in the, that as far as I can tell. Um, but it's well, it's well timed. I just, I haven't like attuned to it yet, so it just keeps catching me off guard. Um, but I'm always like, I'm a big proponent of um, drama that can be, uh, or just shows that have a sense of humor, even if they're not funny. Hmm. <laughs> Um, like Deadwood is not really f- f- a funny show, but often is funny. Like in in context, it's like not a comedy, but it is often funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I I definitely appreciate that when and that's the thing. I just I, again knowing nothing about Twin Peaks, I'm like, is this are we is it, are we laughing? Is is this funny? Or are we? I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. And um, it, it is a it's a very funny show, um, for sure. And it's also a very what is unique about it is how it can be very funny. And not lose sight of the, 
you know, like you asked how much of the show is about the murder of Laura Palmer, and I'm not spoiling it when I say, like it all, it kind of always is. Um, that undercurrent of tragedy and and violence is what the show is about. It's not really an undercurrent. Um, it informs not just this one act of violence, but the you know what it means and the things that led up to it. It all. The show is about how that exists in this town, and it's like mm. it can be very funny, and 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 not in a way that you're supposed to be like ashamed of yourself for laughing because it is a com it is mm. a comedic show, um, but it's also about how that kind of masks uh, violence and um, in some cases abuse, like we kind of see later in the episode with Leo and Shelley. Um, mm. d- domestic abuse is definitely a theme on this show. Um, so it's like it, it. What is so kind of masterful about Twin Peaks is how it does balance all these themes that shouldn't go together, and all these tones that shouldn't go together, but they do kind of simultaneously exist, and it does kind of make sense that they uh, it, in mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah. No. No. I, yeah. It didn't feel out of place. I just wasn't sure how to read it. So yeah. I guess we'll. Uh, I'll, I'll go in with 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 you know a bit more perspective into subsequent episodes. Right. Um, um, so yeah, the, the, one of the next scenes is this scene you talked about with Audrey. <laughs> First of all, it starts with her poking a pencil in this coffee cup, and then she asks the woman at the desk, what do you think would happen if I pulled this out? <laughs> yep. um, again, I, I, I really love Audrey, but she completely ruins her father's business deal by telling them that a girl, her, a girl, her quote-unquote best friend was murdered, um, mm-hmm. and they storm out. Um, it, Audrey's scenes are interesting because they are the only she's the only major character who's introduced whose scenes really aren't related to the murder in any way um, mm-hmm. but they are very entertaining <laughs> yeah she's um, she she feels like a, oh, I'm trying to think of how to describe her character sort of like a uh, I want to say like a Bugs Bunny, low-key type character, <laughs> you know, just making trouble and mischief for no, seemingly no real reason other than her own amusement. So, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't really know. How to, I don't know how to read her. Although I do like the scene when all of the um, everyone's leaving and um, the secretary or, or whatever is is like the Norwegians are leaving, <laughs> um, and she just keeps saying it, and it's just very absurd. Like the Norwegians. <laughs> Are like the whole the phrase is just bizarre. Like that's not something people say generally um, in any real context. <laughs> like what? Um, also, like everyone should know that like who the Norwegians are first of all, and then secondly that they are leaving is you know. Uh, so yeah, I, just, I I thought this was a it's almost like a Monty Python sketch. It was very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, wait, um, that's a that's a good uh, point of reference. I agree. Um, in fact, all of it. Yeah, all, just the whole thing was just something like that they might do um yeah and then i think oh okay so after this we we see the the location of the um the murder right yes uh again a very very interesting uh they go to it was in a train car they find Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of stuff i think they find like a hammer with blood on it and the half of the necklace and most interestingly a note written in blood that says fire walk with me that says there's going to be a 
a movie. Yeah, it's it's viral marketing uh, for the it's a movie, movie poster <laughs> that yeah. you already know about because I told you about it. Um, so you know that 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 that. Well, I did knew I knew the movie existed. Like I'd like I'd seen like posters or like or I've heard it referenced before. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. So I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, it's like the the movie. The <laughs> so you know that that phrase has some relevance to the proceedings, but it is kind. Of, it is very creepy when it's introduced. Yeah. Um. So I, I do have a question about the movie. Is it does it happen in the context of like this? Like, is it, does it happen between seasons two and? It's a prequel. The, I mean, I'll just tell you, it's a prequel focused on Laura. Oh. oh. Okay. Does it use the same actor? Yes, it uses almost all the same actors, um, okay. except for Donna, who uh, was did not have a good experience on set <laughs> for reasons we'll get into, and had no interest oh. in returning. Um, but yeah, all other than that, all the same actors. Oh, okay, and but did if it's focused on Laura, is she alive in the in the movie? Oh yeah, it's about like the it focuses on the last week of her life. Oh okay, interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, let's let's briefly talk about Cheryl Lee, who plays Laura. Um, she is an incredible actress who never got her due, and it's not fair. Um, the, I guess, well, okay, I'll just say for now that. When they shot this scene of the picnic, like on the camcorder stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Lynch famously was so uh, taken with her performance, even though it's not, you know, she doesn't say anything, but just she is so, like, he found just her, like, screen presence so enigmatic that he wrote, mm-hmm. like, more reasons to have her on the show, <laughs> basically, and we'll get to them. Oh, okay. Um, but she, yeah, she's an, she's an unbelievably good actress, and... Um, and we we will see more of Cheryl Lee, um, but yeah, God, she's just she's very good. Yeah, I was just wondering, yeah, because you know, it, it when you have a character who, when you're opening a show on somebody who died, then you don't necessarily it'd be like worrying about who was cast as John Aaron in Game of Thrones. Yeah, 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 and that's that's so like I wasn't, but they never show John Aaron, so it doesn't matter, right? That's so. all she was. That's all she was supposed to like. That's what she was cast for. That's all that the role was supposed to be. But it wasn't until like. But it turned out she was a good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So then we get to the scene with, another scene with Audrey and her mom, but her older brother Johnny is upstairs um, banging his head against uh, a dollhouse. Um, Mm -hmm. And Johnny has special needs, and Laura was his tutor. And again, it's just another, like, they don't really have to, they, they, they kind of explain the situation a little, but just the way that they... Yeah, there's there's it's, a lot of it's implied. No, I don't. I don't again, agree it, with again, that. their rela- her relationship with Johnny, Johnny's relationship with his mom, and how this affects the family dynamic. It's all just you don't have to say any of it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, it, it, like because it, it took me a second to figure out what was going on or like what the context was for the, uh, but yeah, you you get it pretty quickly. Right. Um. Yeah, no, it's, and it's nice to have those little moments where you get to again. You're learning a little bit more about like how Laura fit into the uh, fabric of the town. Um, um, yeah. So then, then there's the scene at the bank uh, where they open Laura's safety deposit box and they find a copy of a magazine called Flesh World, um, mm-hmm. which is like a well, you know, it's a porn magazine, but also it has ads for like call girls and stuff. And one of them is Runette Pulaski. Yep. Which is why, uh, which is the excuse for Cooper staying and investigating the case, um, right? It, you know, because Runnett, the reason why he get why the FBI gets involved, 
uh, it could have easily been if it's just Ronette, it's kind of tenuous because like they find her, um, <laughs> you know, she's so she's not missing anymore. But mm. you get you definitely get the sense as the series goes on that Cooper is looking for reasons to stay, like to keep investigating, just because he has a drive to like mm-hmm. discover the truth. Um, and also as it goes on, he kind of he definitely falls in love with the town and and the people in it. Um, but also in well, he also found. They find ten thousand uh, dollars there as well. Yes, so, another uh, um, you know mysterious uh, implication of Laura kind of have, having a double life or having a secret, a secret right. life. Um, and in this magazine, there's also a photo of Leo's truck, like you mentioned earlier. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And we see Leo's home life with Shelley, and it's abusive, <laughs> to be sure. Um, and you yep. immediately get why they were so terrified to see his truck in the driveway. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, yeah, terrible, um, and, like, just irrational and, and wound up and, yeah, clearly a very dangerous, uh, individual. Um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, funny, ironic, I don't know what the term is, um, it doesn't matter if he's a murderer, right? Uh, not that you're necessarily... Not that I necessarily think he is the murderer, but like it ultimately doesn't matter because it seems like he would be, you know, very possibly could become a murderer at any moment. Yeah. Um, so it's like if he did was a serial, like that's why I actually think it's probably not him because it's like, well, if like that wouldn't tell us anything new about his character. Oh, he's violent and crazy. I think we've got that part. <laughs> uh, that's not new information. Whereas, like with Bobby or somebody else, you'd be like, "Oh, that's that's new," or "That's that's something I didn't know about that character," um, or quite like I didn't I didn't know know about. It. I just sort of guessed that might be a thing um, for other characters, but yeah, for like, I wouldn't really tell us anything. Um, it's another character like the psychiatrist that I'm kind of like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I had to guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm trying to think if there was something here. No, no, there's a scene I was thinking about in uh, when they have the little town hall meeting. That's very, that's, um, yeah, that's that, next, so let's go. That's next. Um, well, right before that, we find out that Ed's cheating, I think. Oh, yes, with Norma, who owns the Double R Diner. Yes. Um, so, right, we, we find that out. That's just, like, a, a thing we learned. Um, but then, yeah, we find out, so, yeah, this town hall. I mean, I I did find it funny when they're explaining that like they we're getting some insight in some of the characters because um uh the sheriff's explaining it to to Cooper. Um but I do like when he says who's the lady with the log and then yes he says we call her log lady. <laughs> that was that made me laugh. Yeah. That was that was my brand of humor. Yeah. The log lady's a great character. Um <laughs> which she is. We'll see more of her. Um Oh, that's funny. I, I honestly, if it had been a one-off joke, I would have thought that was yeah, <laughs> it's it's that was funny all in its own. But I just like that's the, it, it's it's very simple and dumb dialogue that is also very funny and like actually very brilliant. Um, the log lady is actually it's funny because yeah, it it is a great one-off line, but it's not just that she is more of a character later. She is actually like. That character predates Twin Peaks by, like, I think several decades. Um, that actress, Catherine Coulson, is... Uh, oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this. Um, Jack Nance, who plays Pete, is the main character of Eraserhead, uh, David Lynch's first film. Oh. 
That's just a fun okay, detail. Yeah. Um. So so he just yeah, he he retained his uh. You know it, it's it's funny. There's um. Uh. Uh. So the the show that this it it doesn't remind me of. It's not really the same in that way, but. The only show I can think of that's sort of analogous to Twin Peaks in terms of how it fits into David Lynch's world. Um, so there's a so my my favorite director uh, Satoshi Kon uh, made a bunch of like I think four feature length uh, uh, movies. Uh, he was an animation director, um, and then also a TV series where he. Um, <laughs> it's a really weird series. Well, he's a weird guy. Um, but it's a really weird series that it's called um, Paranoia Agent. Hmm. Um, and I still haven't got like I, his movies. I I get on some level. Uh, I think they're they're just flat brilliant. But the show was like where he dumped all of his ideas that he didn't really feel like making into f- or couldn't or didn't have time to make into full length movies. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away at forty, so he didn't have a time like time to actually go and make a whole bunch of other movies anyway. But um, we did get this show that's just—it's so many different ideas for different, clearly like completely different movies, but it's all in this one show. Um, and it's another example of like this very uh, defined, like auteur voice type thing, um, getting. getting this completely different structure in a TV show that they don't normally have to just explore their own interests <laughs> <laughs> for whatever. A se- I think that was only one season. Um, and it's just, it's very strange. Um, so it's just funny to think about that in this context. So it's funny that you mentioned, you know, these contact, these, uh, these connections to other Lynch projects. Cause I think it's, it's similar in that way. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I just, which is actually how I'd always thought about Twin Peaks. I was like, oh, it's like, um, it's David Lynch's paranoia agent, which of course it's the other way around. But, um, well, I mean, yeah, when, so, when season three of Twin Peaks especially is definitely, I, I won't call it, a, it's not a dumping ground, but it definitely like, it is a place where all of these like unused, especially like visuals and like imagery and just like ideas, he just kind of puts them into the Twin Peaks world basically. Um, yeah, exactly. Because exactly. he couldn't find a place for them uh elsewhere in his work basically um but the yeah and the log lady is actually an early example of that because originally he wanted to do a show with this actress Catherine colson that was called what was it called it was called i'll test my log with every branch of knowledge and the idea of the show was that she would have this log um and like i think i'm remembering this right like every episode she would like go to a different like profession and like learn about it like with with her log like, she would go to a dentist and talk to a dentist, and, like, the log would be in the dentist chair or something. Like, the idea wasn't very fleshed out, obviously. But this is this is where the character of the log lady originated. Wow. Um, well, I'm glad he got her into the show. Um, okay, well, I, I didn't realize that, that was a, there was more... To, who knew that there was more to this, this like, literally two-line little of dialogue but um, I, I just assumed it was a joke that I guess then took on more form but in fact it, it wasn't it, it had predated the show um, shows how much I know about Twin Peaks <laughs> um, it's useful that you know all these things because I literally like, this is completely foreign information to me. 
And it's a little weird being this, especially in a show that's like not really obscure at all. It's quite famous. Um, knowing as little as I do about what's going on. Uh, yeah, like I don't even inkling. Like nothing's come up in the show where I'm like, oh yeah, that's um, like maybe I have seen this. I just didn't remember because I was like a kid and it was just on TV. No, I, I really don't think I've seen any of this. I don't know any of this. Uh, any of these characters, nothing's familiar to me at all. I have an um, inkling that in the next... I think it appears in a, the episode after next that there is something that you won't recognize. And I won't say what it is, but I have an, I have a feeling that you will have seen it or seen a parody of it before. Hmm. Uh, well, it's possible it's seen a parody, yeah. That's very true. I just, like, nothing's, nothing's come up yet. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, and then um, I think... Uh oh yeah and then oh yeah and then there's this whole sequence where they're they're following James and uh or yeah they're following James and uh, Donna and Wait, well first they go to the roadhouse and there's the fight there oh it's the roadhouse right right yeah yeah and there's a fight um over uh over Donna um because she shows up there yeah she sneaks out of the house and the curfew and then there's Mike and uh, Bobby are drunk and aggressive and and terrible and then. They also go to the roadhouse. Everyone's going to the roadhouse. They all meet there. Um, and Cooper also shows up there with the sheriff. And uh, then there's a fight. And um, Donna, like, is yeah, shuffled out the back with the biker gang group people uh, to go and see James. Um, and then they head out and, like, go to some area where... Um, James reveals a bunch of bunch of information about uh, what happened with Laura the night before. Yeah, this is the first real like. This is the first kind of. It's not direct, but it is the first time we hear a description of Laura's activity from a person who knew her, and we learn stuff about her that isn't just like finding her stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, and exactly. It's especially and it's funny because this is the first time, but. What James is saying is that, oh, it was like she was a completely different person. She wasn't like herself yep. at all. And she talks about, she does a lot of stuff. The most important thing is that uh, Bobby killed a guy, um, <laughs> which is uh, quite shocking. Well, not shocking, but right. it, it's, I guess it's something you might have uh, not predicted, but it's it's not that surprising <laughs> that Bobby has done this. Um, right. Or at least allegedly. Yeah. yeah but also that uh, she says... Uh, James doesn't know her. Even Donna doesn't know the real her. Um, and then they, uh, James and Donna kiss, and then they bury his half of the necklace. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then they're found, and James is arrested. Right, James is arrested, and he he definitely seems like he's, uh, like it seems like gives the impression of innocence when he's. It's like, look, I don't have an alibi for last night. This is what happened. They're going to arrest me. That's what it is. Well, it's um, funny because he comes off as, like, like you've been, like you said earlier, they present him for a while as this really, like, mysterious character who has hmm. some, like, if not ulterior motive, then, like, he, ha- he has some secret knowledge that he's not telling anyone. And he, like, he knows something. But then when he had, like, when they finally pay that off in the scene, yeah, he seems, like, totally oblivious to what's going on and yeah like genuinely pure of heart and innocent yeah um well certainly at no point in the show like they keep showing him and showing whatever and implying that he's uh got some sort of um 
that he's you know that that Coop, he fits the description of who Cooper thinks is the the murderer, but he's nothing about his actions or the way he has interacted with other characters, uh, indicates that he's like mean or dangerous at all. He doesn't seem like that. Um, which I guess if it doesn't mean anything, that's well, plenty of serial murderers get all their serial murdering done. Um, <laughs> it's that they don't seem particularly uh, scary or threatening. Um, but in the context of the show, like there's other characters that seem much more malevolent, and he never does, even when they show him in these like, oh, he has the other half of the necklace, and he's just yeah, but he like looks like um, you know, doesn't look like James Dean, but like he has that James Dean like sitting on like you know, stoically looking off, holding a heart, you know, yeah. like he doesn't look like a somebody murdered somebody, he looks like a heartbroken teenager kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Um so when he says this you're like, Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that sounds about right. Um of course he could be completely like just lying. It's it's hard to know. But um the what we understand is that he isn't. And then at the scene at the end, uh with the, the jail when he goes actually is in jail. Uh, and there's that scene where Bobby and Mike are barking at him. <laughs> it's so um, so strange. It's really strange, and I don't know if it was my audio, but like, do they do something weird with their audio when they're barking? Because they start ye- like they're barking and then they're yelling, and it's this really weird moment where like the the sound sounds like it's doing a crossfade with like a like it's like going to transition to another scene where like oh his yelling is overlapping with the yelling in another scene of another character or something. Oh, no, they definitely like um, the barking transitions into like a different like they're saying something else. Well, yeah, well they're like yeah, well anyway, it feels like they're like halfway through a transition to another scene but it never transitions. It's just <laughs> the audio and it's just like it's very uh, otherworldly and bizarre yeah. in this particular scene. Yeah, so I thought that whole thing was very strange but also again made them seem at that point, like, these are not the good characters. Yeah. These are the bad characters. <laughs> um, that was definitely the implication I got there. Um, and then, yeah, I think uh, then there's that, the very last moment. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a little, like, this is definitely the climax of the episode, and then there's a few, like, there's the scene where Truman goes to see Josie, and they're having... Oh, right, right, and then there's, there's, right, right, and we learn more about the, the various relationships and... Um, Again, mo- mostly setting up the connections between these characters. So yeah, right. Truman exactly. and Josie are having and, an affair, and Catherine and uh, Ben are uh, implicated somehow. That's not really clear at this point. Right. Um, but yeah, then there's this this one final scene, which is the first the first hint of of where Twin Peaks is going in terms of the the strangeness. Hmm. Yeah, no, so it's, it, there's a handheld POV shot, which I actually wasn't expecting at all. This episode has a lot of, like, low swinging shots um, that are not very, like, I, I don't know how to describe them, but it's like, yeah, these, these like, sort of pans uh, that are really slow and, and sort of um, methodical, uh, and then suddenly we have this, like, frantic like for handheld pov shot which is just completely different than the rest of the show um and you know it's it represents i guess this perspective of this character we don't know who it is um who's like running in the woods or something and then finds the necklace and then and then it suddenly switches back to like um 
a third person perspective on them. Um, and in the meantime, Laura's mom is reacting to all of this uh, because she's sensing it or freaking out. I, I, the whole, I, the whole, I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. Yeah, the, the implication is that she's having a vision of this happening, I guess. Right, that's, that seems to be what's, what's going on. Um, but it's not clear if she's having a vision of it. Like, we can see it, and she's just, like, a sense of disturbance from the Force type of thing, or if, like, she can actually see what's happening. Um, like, neither, it's not really clear either way in this, because we don't see, like, she doesn't say anything afterwards, so we don't know. She's just freaked out. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll have to see that next uh, next episode. Yes. Um, and as I said, the next the the episode titles are uh, very strange. The next episode is called Episode One. Okay, great. <laughs> um, but we can call it uh, by its title, which is Traces to Nowhere, and the episode titles. Uh, I think they come from when this aired in syndication in Germany. It's either that, or they might be like fan, like the like fans came up with titles for the episode. It's something like something. One of those two is how the episodes got their names. But was the sh- the show originally just had no? Yeah, it was just episode one, episode two. But the first one was called uh, okay. Pilot, and then the second one was episode one. Of course, just to <laughs> mess with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. Yeah, no, I think. Uh... Yeah, this is a. Uh, it's certainly different. I gotta say, going back to watch '90s, I I know this was like very different than other '90s television. I get that, but also like just watching '90s television now is so weird. It's such a weird phenomenon. I this is literally no reflection on Twin Peaks, just broadly speaking. Um, I haven't watched anything from the '90s in a while. I, <laughs> even '90s, like later '90s. Uh, is quite different, but like I'm thinking, like you know that right. It's right on that cusp of like late '80s, early '90s, um, where it sounds like that VCR type, like VHS, VHS quality, uh, like aesthetic to it, and and like you could you and I'm sure someone's done this, but like doing Twin Peaks introduction with like a like a Full House type credit sequence like intro um where it's all like very happy and you know whatever uh and it's like a country uh type um type show or something like that uh because it would it it would fit in terms of the aesthetic of like the materials that we that were like standard for like that kind of um for, for television filmmaking at the time um even if it's not reflective at all of twin peaks or how twin peaks is um so it's just funny going back to see that when i'm you know much more used to even if you go back to like deadwood deadwood feels like if it was made now it would not look very different at all um even though it was made now what 15 years ago yeah something like that um which is crazy <laughs> to think about um but certainly shows from the 90s definitely stick out and it's just funny to go back and watch that now also because it's in the four by three uh format which uh we haven't been exposed to for quite some time. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so until uh, until next time, we're, uh, we'll, we'll dive into uh, episode one <laughs> of, uh, of Twin Peaks. Yeah.